Dear Sugar is supported by The universe has good news for the lost, lonely, and heartsick. Sugar is here, the both of us, speaking straight into your ears. I'm Cheryl Strayed. I'm Steve Almond. This is Dear Sugar Radio. Oh, dear son, won't you please share some little sweet days with me? Hi, Steve. Hi, Cheryl. So, guess what we're going to talk about today? <sighs> it's coming to me. It's coming to me. <laughs> we're going to talk about global warming? Friendships. Ah, oh, even better. We're doing a friendship FAQ. Mm-hmm. And this is in part because we get so many different questions about how to navigate friendships. Most of us get so absorbed in our, our you know family dysfunctions and our romantic relationships. Right. But it turns out friendships can be complicated, too. Well, you know, if you sort of look through the canon, as we do as writers, and you realize how many books, when you sort of dig to the bottom of it, are really actually about friendship, yeah. like Winnie the Pooh, is about friendship, yeah. right? That's what that book is about. Charlotte's Web, that beautiful moment at the end of Charlotte's Web. Wilbur says, I didn't deserve this. Why did you do this? I'm nothing. Why did you help me so much, Charlotte? And she's like, what are you talking about? You were my friend. So many books that really, when you, you know, whatever the romantic plot is, they're really about friendship. Yeah, and some of those are deep and positive. And also, there are many stories about betrayal, right? Mm -hmm. You know, that friend who suddenly is, you know, having an affair with your spouse or, you know, the Elena Fronte novels. It's the, People love the beauty them. of friendship and the right. destructiveness of friendship yep. and all, you know, the way that all of our nature is captured in that I'll see you a Ferenti and raise you an Ann Patchett, Truth and Beauty, her beautiful memoir oh, yeah. that is so much about the terrain of friendship and how charged it is. And I love this book that I mention all the time. I love so much We Learn Nothing by Tim Creter, which is this suite of essays that is really about friendship mm-hmm. and how volatile it is and how unrecognized it is. There's so many things that happen within the context of friendships, these created families that we make, that people get away with because they're, uh, they're, it's purely voluntary. You're it in is. it because you agree to be in it. You know, I had a recent experience regarding friendship. As you know, Brian's mother, my mother-in-law, died mm-hmm. uh, in September. And she was 85 years old. She had lots of lifelong friends. She'd been married four times. She, my husband was her only child. And the relationships that really lasted the longest for her in her life were her friendships. And we had this memorial service for her, and Brian said some words, but then he invited, you know, he opened it up to the room. And there were so many women in the room who got up and told stories about Joan. Yeah. And what I was so struck by is so many of those women would say things like, Joan and I have been friends for 60 years. Holy cow. Joan and I have been friends since the 40s. You know, Mm -hmm. all of these people who had had this longevity. And I think that that is one of the most powerful things. It was really a reminder for me sitting in the audience. And and several of my my friends had come to support me and Brian. And, you know, I looked around at them and, and with tears in my eyes. And I thought, this is going to be us. You know, this is going to be us someday. I'm mm-hmm. going to be either at your memorial service or you're going to be at mine. Wow. You and I, Steve. Mm-hmm. 
And we're going to be saying... Except that we go out in that mutual suicide pact that the, we the talked joint, about. The suicide murder <laughs> pact. But do you know what I mean? We're going to be saying this was a relationship right. that nurtured and informed me, you know, sometimes over decades. That's right. And so, you know, when it goes well, it can be a powerfully important and sustaining thing. Mm-hmm. Each friend represents a world in us, a world possibly not born until they arrive. And it is only by this meeting that a new world is born. Anias Nin. Boom. Wow. Now... Sometimes that's a brave new world and it's happy and so forth. And sometimes you are filled with bewilderment and feelings that are quite confusing and enraging. So let's get started into that genus. Let's get to confusion and, and questions. Here we go. Dear Sugars, I realize we are all engaged in technology, career, family, and activities. My problem lies with the constant stream of friends who say, I'm too busy, I'm swamped, I'm running in a million directions, and on it goes. My translation is... I'm too busy for you, and you are not a priority, and I am rather important. Worse yet is the faceless, voiceless communication. Am I supposed to be satisfied with a lengthy text message update about their life and or a Facebook status update to keep in touch, or with statements being said rather than questions being asked, things like, hope you're well, hope you had a great trip, I trust all is well with your family, enjoy your summer, you will figure it out. No one asking and listening probing my heart and mind, seeking my thoughts. I guess no one really is interested or cares. I've tried to be a good friend, put in the effort with my time, my ear, my physical presence, and personal calls that go unanswered straight to voicemail. Nobody is that bloody busy. So do I just pull the plug and walk away from these unsatisfying relationships? Signed, Lone Wolf in Midlife. Ow! (laughs) Do you hear that call? Yeah, I I think that this is a really common conundrum, especially in the modern age, as Lone Wolf and Midlife says, you know, we have technology, career, families, activities, you know, I'm really of two minds, Lone Wolf and Midlife. I mean, I, I think that if you're finding that you're feeling dissatisfied with all of your friends or, or, or a large majority of them and feeling angry and alienated, that maybe, you know, it's not them, it's you. That mm-hmm. maybe you do need to say, okay, ideally we'd get together and have these long afternoon walks and lovely dinner parties and weekends away and such where you really get to have that kind of deep enriching exchange with your friends. But the fact of the matter is, is it is true. You know, I, I think you've just described me in your letter. You know, Hmm. one of the greatest anxieties of these last several years has been like what's happened with, you know, that I feel like I'm not as good of a friend as I want to be. And the reason for that is it's not just some sort of thing I made up that I'm busy. It's actually true that I'm busy. And it's because, you know, I'm working too much and I'm traveling a lot. And then when I'm not doing those things, I have these two little children and they have to take priority. Mm -hmm. And I have just straight out said to many of my friends, I love you. I care about you. And yeah, sometimes we just are going to have to catch up on text. Mm -hmm. But what I've also done is every, you know, season or so say, okay, it's been three months since I've seen you. Let's, we must get together. And so what I'm going to suggest to you, Lone Wolf in Midlife, is, you know, first of all, don't take it personally that your friends are busy. Some of these people truly might be using busyness as, as an excuse to blow you off, but most of them probably actually care about you, and they just simply have to prioritize other things right now. You know, and I do feel like, As I said about my mother-in-law's friendships, when you look at a friendship over 50 years, did she see all of those friends every week? No. But, you know, sometimes with friendships, what you have to do is say, well, this isn't the moment that we're super close and there might be other times that we are close. And I would say, you know, try to keep those connections alive, even if they seem 
really minimal to you right now. Mm -hmm. Because in the long run, those friendships are going to matter. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I have to say there are two things that, that are happening simultaneously in this letter. To me, Lone Wolf and Midlife, when I heard you're putting your finger right on this, I'm too busy, I'm swamped, I'm running a million directions. My reaction is exactly the same as yours. It's crazy how much we have used, allowed ourselves to use. And I heard everything you said, Cheryl. I don't disagree with a bit of it, but I want to just affirm for you, Lone Wolf and Midlife, your emotions around this describe something that I think everybody is doing to one extent or another, which is forgetting your purpose on life is in life is to establish human connections with people who are important to you. And we get caught up in the day to day and I've been guilty of it. And I know that I react in this way. And that's why when I see it, you need to take a deep breath and recognize the burdens ye shall always have these friends ye shall not always have. Uh, so I think you're, you need to do a little bit of triage and decide which import relationships are important to you and then sort of cut through that static and say, I get it, you're busy, but you're important to me. Let's have coffee. Let's have a phone call. Let's exchange letters where I can really hear what's going on underneath that kind of anxious froth. Okay, next letter. Dear Sugars, my issue is jealousy. I'm jealous of my friends, almost all of them. Sometimes it's professional jealousy. I resent friends for their accomplishments, the recognition they receive for their work. Sometimes it's personal. I'm jealous of friends who spend time together when I can't. And then I layer on feeling bad about feeling jealous. I mean, I'm not dumb. I know life isn't as sunny as we all present it to be. It isn't all awards and happy things. I know that friend who just got recognition for their efforts has been working their butt off for years. I know the friend who presents herself as near perfect is up at night worrying about her kids and their finances. I'm not naive, but I still feel jealous. What the hell? It feels complicated and messy, and also, frankly, it feels like a waste of energy. But I keep going there. How do I deal with these feelings? How do I stop them? Signed, Jealous Much? Mm-hmm. Hmm. You know, jealousy is self-doubt disguised in other people's clothes. That's what it is. And I absolutely recognize the feeling states that you're talking about jealous much. I'm jealous all the time. I'm jealous so much more often than people would expect that I'm jealous. I'm plagued by jealousy. And I think the key to this is not to try to ignore those feelings, not to try to pretend they don't exist. Or you're not going to do that. You're, that's a whack-a-mole you'll be whacking for the rest of your life. You need to figure out why it is you can't esteem who you are and what you do. And probably a big part of that is self-forgiveness. Like the key to life is setting reasonable and maybe even lower expectations for yourself so that you don't sit there and say every time somebody does something that you just haven't managed to do yet, whether it's find happiness in a relationship or your creative work or your professional life, it's not an indictment of you. It's It reflects well on them and then you need to think, well, what can I do and what have I done and how can I be a little bit more forgiving? Yeah, I agree with you, Steve. I, I think the long game is certainly about addressing those underlying issues, mm-hmm. that those feelings are, that you're projecting onto others, it really you know has nothing to do with what they've done or not done or what their lives are really like or not like. You know, it's about your own feelings, about your worth, your value, your success, your happiness. But I will differ with him in this one regard. I think you know the long game is what he proposed, and the short game is playing a game of whack-a-mole. Okay. <laughs> okay. And you know what this is connected to is is really what's what amounts to mindfulness. And you know, I'm going to suggest this because it's been 
an incredible tool in my own life. Hmm. So often on Dear Sugar Radio, we talk about, you know, how, you know, that story, that in- internal story we tell ourselves, yeah. those voices in our head mm-hmm. that are saying, you know, oh, we're bad or we're stupid or we're worthless or mm-hmm. we're good and we're okay and people care about us, mm-hmm. right? And we're always, I think, in conversation with ourselves about which voice to listen to and trust. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I become mindful when I feel jealous of somebody. Mm-hmm. I actually, I have trained my mind to interfere with that thought. Yep. You know, mm-hmm. Steve wins some big award. Very implausible, and, uh, you know, but could happen, yes. And I want that award too because mm-hmm. we're both writers, mm-hmm. okay? So I'm on one hand happy for Steve and also jealous because I want that award too. Mm-hmm. And what I would do in this scenario in my mind is just to say, you know what, that bit of your jealousy, just let's just put that aside. Mm-hmm. Let's just remember what's really true and valuable. And that is, I'm happy for my friend. And you know, that my day may come someday. And, and mm-hmm. the fact that one person wins this and, and I didn't doesn't mean that I won't ever have good things happen to me. And there will be other days where I'm the one who won the award, you know. Mm-hmm. So I think that, that this is really about bringing to consciousness your feelings and telling some of those feelings that they're invalid and turning them away. It's the gentle whack-a-mole. It's the gentle whack-a-mole. Okay, onward and inward. Dear Sugars, I am writing because I am having a hard time accepting my best friend's relationship. Annie, names have been changed, has been my best friend since our freshman year of college almost seven years ago. We're very close. Even though we live in different cities now, we talk about everything and agree on a lot. She's been dating X for about two years now, and from the very beginning, I knew she could do better. He was in an open relationship with another woman when they started dating. Then, once they became exclusive, he started to show signs of being very controlling and also very jealous. The straw that broke the camel's back for me was when she contacted me via Facebook Messenger to discuss flirty dreams she'd been having about a co-worker. When I asked her why we were having this conversation on Facebook instead of texting, she said that it was because she did not want it in her text messages since X had been known to go through her texts. Some years ago, I was in an abusive relationship myself, and X shows a lot of the same symptoms as my ex-boyfriend. I've told Annie this numerous times, and she always seems to be in at least partial agreement, but they stay together. I'm worried about her, especially because she's been talking about marrying this guy. I have two major fears. First, that something really bad could happen to her. And second, that their relationship might harm our relationship. I don't want to lose her for any reason. Do I have any power to do anything aside from what I've already done? Is there something I can say to her? Signed, worried friend. Ah. Yeah. We get a lot of these. We do. And I've worried friend. I I have really struggled with the same thing for many years in my life. I, I have a close family member who has been in a number of relationships with men who are controlling and or abusive. I think mm-hmm. controlling is, is abuse, actually. So I'm just going to say abusive. But, you know, what I can say from my experience is it sucks. It's a terrible, mm-hmm. difficult situation. And there's no one thing that you can do to make Annie see the light and leave this man. Okay, mm-hmm. so just that's that's first I want to say. Um, but, you know, I, obviously, what you need to do is try to be as supportive and loving and truth-telling to Annie as possible. I can tell you in my own situation with, with my family member, you know, I what I decided to do was just always to speak the truth as it came to me. Like I would say, he shouldn't talk to you like that, or he doesn't have a right to wow. read your text messages, yep. or I'm really concerned about you. And it does 
drive a wedge between me and that person. It did. But I will say that what it also did is it always told her that I cared and that I wasn't going to pretend that that abuse didn't exist. Mm -hmm. And now this person is not involved with anyone. She's finally free of this string of these men. And now in recent times, we've actually had some conversations where she said, you know, actually, he did beat me up. He did do this or that. And, you know, and what what's beautiful about that in the end is even though in the short term, I think she felt like I was couldn't be trusted because I was going to try to, you know, break up her relationship. But she also, in, you know, in the long run, knew that I always was there for her and I was on her side and I was going to believe her and that if she ever needed a place to go to be safe, I was that safe harbor. And so what I advise you to do is, worried friend, is is to, to make it really clear, you know, don't play any of those games that, you know, that Annie needs to play to sort of pretend that this guy's kind of okay, even though he does this, that and the other thing. Mm-hmm. Continually say, it's not okay. And if you ever need me at any hour of the day, I'm here. Mm-hmm. Good luck. And it might be helpful to also just have a chance to spend an extended amount of time with her away from the environment where she lives with this guy or away from this guy and where they usually spend time simply to allow Annie to have the psychic space to talk about her own internal misgivings, which clearly exist Mm -hmm. in a way that doesn't feel prompted. It's like with kids. The more you listen, the more they talk. Yes. You are not alone. We receive so many letters from people. Maybe one of the central kind of letter we receive from friends who are concerned about a friendship is this very issue. A lot of bad boyfriends out there. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, okay. And worried worried uh, girlfriends. Okay, Steve, next letter. Mm. Dear Sugars, I've been a member of a women's book club for six years. I've provided meals for these women during times of trouble, and they've done the same for me. We've shared lots of secrets, struggles, and also enjoyed discussing a ton of books. They've all attended many of my parties. At a recent meeting, we discussed meeting weekly for coffee now that our kids are in school. I later learned that the group had been meeting without me for some time. I was the only one who had been left out. I learned this because I was included in a group text, and I could tell by the way they were talking that they had a regular meeting time and place. Since that first text, I've gotten two more weekly group texts. My name never comes up, while others are asked things like, Julie, you haven't responded. Does the new time work for you? So it's either that all are oblivious to my presence on the chain, or they're ignoring it, hoping I won't show up. I honestly can't tell which one is more likely. I'm usually someone who likes to clear the air, but maybe I should remain silent and act like nothing happened at our next meeting. Or should I bow out? No one has asked why I've missed all these get-togethers, so I'm thinking they must not be my friends after all. Or perhaps that's a ridiculous leap? Thanks. Odd woman out. Mm. Live by the text, die by the text, (laughs) by the group text. I mean, my immediate impulse is to say, you know, oh my God, you are just party to this really cruel exclusion that we would say is endemic of certain kinds of loose-knit friendship groups where, you know, you can get away with this kind of stuff in the way that you can't get away with it in in family relationships or others. But it's genuinely unclear to me whether these women are being really cruel or whether it's more of informal and maybe she, what do you is you, are you, uh, in other words i don't want to jump to the conclusion that these women are being really cruel but it sounds like they are and one thing you might try doing is sending a note saying 
what's going on. And if there isn't a good explanation, I think their actions speak for themselves. You're looking at me like the cat who ate the canary, like, Almond, <laughs> you're such a mushpot. What do you have to say? Oh, my God. I, I, you know, we finally disagree. We so often agree on things. But no, I, this is so familiar to me because... Really? Okay, I'm, because, I'm you sorry. Know, I'm I just, have, I don't have, it, I don't, I don't get I it. have so many friends. But, okay. but I, I also have, you know, especially here in Portland, I have this circle of friends that, you know, uh-huh. we're all friends with each other. It's very it's a very similar thing okay. to this book club thing. Okay. You know? So it's maybe like, you know, six or eight women. You know, we, we all just got together last night, frankly. You know, so so it's like one of those things like Wait we're all going to meet for drinks. I so wasn't all, told. I know you weren't invited. Well, but, interesting. You know, that, <laughs> but so, you know, we're sort of a group. Right. Okay. And so I want to say to you first, odd woman out, I do think that you're making a ridiculous leap. I do think oh, that you're okay, taking okay, this personally. Good. Okay, all right. Yeah, I, okay. I think these women like you and care about you. They're in a book club with you. They, at a recent meeting, discussed meeting weekly for coffee, and, and which also included you. And what you discovered, even though you have now you know, officially been invited into this, this weekly coffee clatch, you've discovered, oh, they were meeting before me. Well, you don't really know the nature of how that came together. And, and oh, I okay. know exactly that feeling of being left out because in this lovely circle of women friends that I have mm-hmm. you know there are times that we're all on the same text chain or Facebook message chain and we all decide to get together and do this or that but then there are other times that little little kind of smaller branches of us break off because you know sometimes it is nice to get together with yeah. two people or one person or four people instead of six or eight people or right. whatever you know right. and there's there is often this sense of Oh, you know, we didn't invite so and so, or why didn't you? Know, or they all got together and did this thing, but why didn't they ask me? Mm-hmm. And you know, what I've learned is this is really silliness. That you know, we all love each other. You can't always move in groups. For all you know, odd woman out. That coffee meeting, you know, it was just like a couple of them one day were like, hey, you know, do you want to meet for coffee? And then it became a regular thing. And nobody was sitting there plotting to like, you know, keep you away. Trust me, if they didn't want you around them, first of all, they wouldn't have discussed meeting at, you know, at your recent book club meeting. They wouldn't have suggested you join them for coffee. They wouldn't have put you on that group text. text. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that they're thinking of this as it's a group effort. They're not going to, you know, babysit you and make sure you feel included. Just come. Just mm-hmm. come and f- and be included. Now, I will say, if this is really bothering you, yeah, say something. I have embarrassed myself in my little circle of friends, mm-hmm. and I have sometimes said, you know, in a kind of lighthearted, seemingly joking manner, but in a way that also, oh, you know, I guess I wasn't invited. And right. then it's all I always feel like a fool because they're like, well, of course, of course you were you're invited. invited, yeah. But also, it's true. I've left some of these women out. You know, mm-hmm. I, not everyone can be invited all the time. Right. And, you know, just be happy you have this lovely circle of women who makes meals for each other in times of trouble mm-hmm. and all mm-hmm. of that. And laugh it off. Join the group. I trust that if right. you do that, you're going to realize right. that you're, you're a member of that tribe. Right. So funny. The human capacity to overestimate the amount of plotting outside our earshot is just remarkable. I'm always like, they must be, t-, and they're never talking about you, ever. Yeah, if people I, 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 don't want to see you, you usually know it, mm-hmm. right? Well, very interesting. <laughs> that question begs our next question, which is, dear sugars, how do you break up with a friend who has not done something to warrant a breakup? 
I've outgrown our friendship but have no reason to give her as to why. As time passes, I realize we don't share any common interests, morals, or goals. She considers me to be one of her best friends, and I am unhappy the whole time we are together. She's truly a great person, but I find myself lying constantly about being busy to get out of plans with this person. I'm worried I'm a bad person because I can't justify my feelings. Am I? How do I break off this relationship? Or can I even do that? Signed, reluctant friend. Yeah, this is a really common question. The sort of traditional way to break up with a friend is just to sort of, you know, slowly backing away, right? <laughs> until until the thing just like dies. Like you leave them off the, the group text inviting them to the weekly coffee. Now many most of the friends who've fallen away in my life, it's not because I broke up with them. It's just that, you know, life carries on, right? Mm-hmm. And takes you in different directions. But yeah, I mean usually when there's a sense of like they're not being interested in a friendship you just kind of let it die. Right. So what I have to say to you, since this, this, you know, I would say back off or tell the truth. And, you know, the backing off may or may not work because, of course, if this friend really does see you as her one of her best friends, she's going to pursue you. And at some point, you are going to have to use your words like we tell kindergartners to do. Yeah. And this is terrible and painful. And frankly, I've never done this. Unless there was also a conflict. I have ended a friendship before where we had a huge conflict and a big falling out. But, you know, if you don't have that and you simply have to say to somebody, you know, this is like breaking up with a lover who's great. You know, I, I think you're wonderful. I wish you well. And I just don't find that I'm clicking with you. Those are the options you're left with, reluctant friend. If you can muster that up, you can put a quick end to this friendship. So, Cheryl precisely what you're talking about is the reason that I, I love this book. We Learn Nothing by Tim Creter, and he has this amazing essay within it called The Anti-Creter Club, which is about his experience of being suddenly dropped by a friend he really loved and admired. This is what he writes. Because there's no formal etiquette for ending a friendship, most people do it in the laziest, most passive and painless way possible by unilaterally dropping any effort to sustain it and letting the other person figure it out for themselves. That's right. Okay. That's your best option here. Okay, reluctant friend, your best option is to slowly drift off and you leave that person in, in a state of bewilderment. Because <laughs> it sounds so mean. It sounds mean, but what's right. the other option? The other option is to say, I've outgrown our friendship. We don't share any common interests, morals, or goals. And by the way, I'm unhappy the whole time we're together. That's why I don't even want to spend time with you. Even though you adore me. I know. It's just... Even though I'm one of your best friends. So the problem here is that you're not worried because you you can't justify your feelings. You're worried because you can justify your feelings and the just Justifications are, you're just not that into her. She's not important to you. You've outgrown all the things you've articulated. That pickle, in other words, is the result of many times that you basically tolerated a person out of guilt rather than genuine affection for them. So I'm not trying to say that to be mean because I've done the same thing and I've been on the receiving end of that kind of basically pity friendship. It's just as a lesson. This is trying to teach you. You should spend time around people you esteem and admire, not people who you feel sorry for or obliged to, just think of it karmically. How would you want to be treated in this circumstance if somebody who you really liked and admired for whatever set of reasons didn't feel the same way and didn't want to spend as much time and then think about behaving that way towards you? How would you want to be treated in this situation? Honestly, Steve, because, you know, when I think about it, I think I would prefer the the slow backing away. And, And of course, I'm an observant person. So if I felt like somebody was you know, not as into me, I would perceive that and then like, you know, yeah. act accordingly. Yeah. But some people just don't 
pay attention to those cues right. for whatever reason. It sounds like the reluctant friend, your friend might be one of them. I mean, it, it, it keeps striking me as odd that, you know, she considers you one of her best friends, but you can't even stand being around here. I think I would notice that. Mm-hmm. I think I would notice if my friends mm-hmm. don't really enjoy being with me. Right. This is a painful human situation. And recognizing that doesn't make you a bad person. It makes you a person. Support for Dear Sugars comes from BetterHelp. If you had an extra hour in the day, how would you use it? BetterHelp Online Therapy can help you figure out what's most important to you so you can prioritize it. Learn to make time for what makes you happy. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Visit betterhelp.com sugars today to get 10% off your first month. All right, Steve, moving right along. Mm -hmm. Dear Sugars, I'm 35 years old and blessed to have a number of really strong friendships that have withstood distance, job changes, and marriages. We write, call, visit each other at our homes, and plan many getaways to fun places. In the weird way that these things happen, these women I love have all had their first babies around the same time. It's been almost a year now, and after the first flurry of new baby visits and texts, I've noticed a pattern. The phone calls and texts from my friends with babies have slowed to almost nothing. Talk of future trips and getaways down the road have become vague, and they sound less likely to happen. Realistically, I accepted that as the only childless friend in the group, there would be more pressure on me to be the one to shoulder the emotional labor of keeping our friendships alive. But I don't want to shoulder our friendship in a way that chips away at it either, because of my resentment towards them for being out of touch. Do they not need my friendship anymore? because they're these new little lovely hearts to love? Am I just delaying the inevitable slipping away? If I do bring up our friendship and what I need to keep it thriving, will it be perceived as, she just doesn't get it? Can a childless woman really be friends with women who have children? Does she have the right to even ask for one? Signed, shut out. Mm. Yes. Yes. Yes, yes. Yes, but it's complicated. Yes, but it's complicated. And look, shut out. This is such a beautiful letter. Mm -hmm. And in in this letter, what you're trying to do is model the consideration that you really want your friends who are preoccupied by their having these children and everything that comes with this to show you and to remind you that even though you don't have a child, you're still that friendship is still an, an important. That set of friendships is still important. I can see you so hard trying to model consideration. Should I call? What's the right time? Is it okay? Do I even have the right to ask for consideration from a, a you know a friend who has a child? Yes, you do. Just recognize that your friends are tired, stressed out probably preoccupied in the parenting culture we exist in and the gerunded verb parenting says it all. We, you know, we, we self-define the moment we have a kid. We suddenly sort of, uh, in many ways, what you're picking up on is a very real closing of the ranks, psychically, emotionally, and socially. And sometimes friends who aren't in the middle of that vortex feel shut out and you don't have as much in common with them, quote unquote, but shut in. I promise you, they need your presence. They need your friendship. They need somebody to remind them that they were a good friend with strong, sustaining relationships before Hurricane, you know, baby arrived. And I love that you're trying to be so considerate, but don't allow that 
consideration to become self-punishment. It's not you. It's what they're going through. Yeah. Yeah, here's what I think. One of, you know, I Does have two kids. Does this ring familiar to you? you... Oh, it's, it's deeply familiar to yeah. me. And, and also, I mean, one of the things that I was intrigued by uh, shut out is, you know, I've been on both sides of that. You know, I was the friend who had good friends who had babies and, and then was felt like, where do I fit into this? Mm-hmm. And then I was also the woman who had two babies in the span of 18 yeah. months. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of the biggest shocks for me when I became a mother was that I realized that I could never again leave the house unless I have made arrangements. Yeah. This is still true, even though my kids are 10 and 12, okay? I'm essentially tethered to two other human beings. <laughs> so they either need to come with me, or I had to pay somebody to watch them, mm-hmm. or I had to make sure that my husband could. I had the you know luxury of having a partner, okay? Mm-hmm. Not everyone has that. Right. But I was basically you know a prisoner in my own home. And I also was a prisoner to the very specific schedules that children have. You know, this is bedtime, and this is nap right. time, and this is... And people who are not parents, you know, might sort of roll their eyes at that and go, oh, you know, you're just creating that. But it's not true. It's like, it really actually does matter if your kid gets a nap, right. you know, your, your quality of life. Oh, boy, is, does it matter. You know? And and there are certain things you, you know, like those early years when I had babies and toddlers and preschoolers, when friends would get in touch with me and say, I really want to see you, uh, you know, I would be forced to say, would you like to come to the zoo with me? Right. You know, honestly. Yeah. Because I had, strangely, all this free time, if what you count as free, accompanying two children to the zoo for three hours, right? which is what I did. Mm-hmm. You know, I wasn't doing anything but taking care of my kids. And boy, did I love having another adult along yes, with me. exactly. But I have to say, you know, a lot of my dear friends, you know, who who either had already raised their kids or which they're like, you know, I don't want to go to the zoo with you. So, and you know, your, that, that kind babies. of yeah. flexibility works both ways. You know, mm-hmm. the friends who did say... Listen, you know, I know at this moment in your life, you are less flexible than me. So what can you do? And I would say, let's put the baby in a stroller and we'll go for a walk at right. two o'clock sharp. Or how about, you know, there, there are these cafes in Portland that sort of opened up right in the right time for me where it's you can have a cappuccino or whatever. And there's a little like mm-hmm. kind of play area. Mm-hmm. And I would say, I know you've probably never been to this incredibly uncool mom cafe. Right. But if you meet me there, <laughs> my kids yeah. can, you know, do the blocks, yeah, you know, exactly. so shut out. I think that, you know, what you need to first know is your friends love you. That love is unchanged. Our hearts, you know, expand with every new person we love. The baby occupies a whole different heart space than you do. And just meet them where they are. And yes, that's kind of one-sided. But trust that there may be a time in your life where you need your friends to meet you where you are. That's right. (laughs) Here we go. Last question. Oh, boy, we saved the most awful for last, I believe. I can say that. Dear Sugars, my BFF of over 12 years has a Trump Pence sign as her Facebook profile picture. She's smart and educated. She has two single professional daughters and a handicapped son. She's the daughter of a sadistic bully and the wife of a rich Republican husband. My Facebook profile picture is an image with this quote. If you see bigotry, oppose it. If you see violence, condemn it. If you see a bully, stand up to him. If Donald Trump wins the election, I will hold her responsible. How? How do we survive this signed politically divided? Am I allowed to say I have no fucking idea? I mean, I'm just <laughs> certainly, yeah, politically divided. I, I do not know, and I am so with you. This is actually a lifelong dilemma for me that has been 
magnified many times in this election season. I've always really struggled with this. People who've listened to the show for a while know that, you know, really one of my deal killers is your politics. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I guess the advice that I give you politically divided is what I've been searching my own soul about. Why is it that you value this friendship? Mm -hmm. Uh, Is it because your best friend of 12, over 12 years um, enlightens you in ways that, that, that are outside the political realm? You know, is she valuable to you? in measure that's equal or greater to the ways that she makes you feel furious and sad and and bummed out about uh, mm-hmm. the state of affairs in the political arena mm-hmm. and then and then trust that you know maybe do the old thing that I'm always pulling out of my hat make a couple lists reasons to <laughs> get out reasons the list to keep this relationship and 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 not let the politics harm it and reasons to say you know what this matters so much to me, and this points to such an essential difference between us. I don't want to be friends anymore. And only you can know. Make that list and, and see you know, what matters most. I have to say that, as, as with Cheryl, I have been ideating and thinking about uh, our political system and uh, the morality that underlies it for a long time. It's a big part of my identity. I've been writing almost constantly simply to keep myself from going crazy, various pieces um, about the election and specifically about Trump, what he represents and what he appeals to in people and so forth. I want to say very clearly that it is possible for you to have this quote uh, if you see bigotry oppose it, if you see violence condemn, if you see a bully stand up to him, and to believe that, and I believe still to maintain this friendship. Your friend is not Donald Trump, and when she looks at Donald Trump, she sees something that you do not see. And you could say that she's wrong, but she'd say the same thing about you. Probably she sees some version of uh, somebody who's successful like her husband and believes that a successful businessman would be good for the country, who sees uh, in a certain way an echo of her father, who was cruel and sadistic and a bully, but also a powerful figure in her life, the first love of her life. And that is so deep inside who she is, you're not going to root it out. And frankly, to be honest with you, politically divided, that's not your job. Your job is to be her friend because of the stuff that Cheryl was talking about. Because for 12 years, you've shared your life with her, and you know that she's somebody who has struggled in life, has raised three kids, one of them handicapped, and that she's smart and educated, and she's been loyal to you. Uh, I don't want to sound like a Pollyanna. I'm furious and heartbroken almost every second of this political season. Trust me. You can just Google my name and Trump, and you'll see everything that I've been doing to to try to figure out how this guy has managed to convince so many people that he... Anyway, I won't go there. The point is, when you have a friendship, and this is what this whole episode has been like, you have to drill down into what's really human and essential about it and what's really beautiful and virtuous uh, about this friend of yours. Because when this election is over, there's still going to be 320 million Americans, and there's still going to be however many million of them who voted for this candidate and for that candidate. And if we cannot bring ourselves to recognize that those are human beings, Americans who struggle with the same set of stuff that we struggle with and carry around the same anxieties and worries about taking care of our family and X, Y, and Z, there's no hope then we've really descended to the kind of demagoguery and bullying that Trump has been all about. And then we're sunk. You can't do it. It has to be deeper and more forgiving and more merciful. And that starts with your friend. Hmm. You know, one of the things I love about friendship Hmm. 
as we reach the end of this first part of our discussion of friendships is, is how often, you know, friends surprise us. And over the years that you know and love somebody, how they reveal different aspects of their nature to us. Mm -hmm. And listening to you just now and in our various discussions over this election season, Mm -hmm. you're always the voice of compassion and understanding. You know, really, you play fair. And I have so much respect for you in that. You know, you've actually helped me because I can get kind of hot-headed about this stuff. Yeah. Like, you know, there is honestly a part of me when I read Politically Divided's letter, like yeah. I said, I'm asking these same questions myself. Part of me wants to say, you know what? It's done. Yeah. It's a deal killer. You're not my friend anymore. Yeah. And part of my growth about one, that yeah. is thanks to you well. and what you have to say about the difference between political beliefs and friendships, the difference between even, you know, yeah. what it means to be a citizen. Mm-hmm. And when you pull the lever for one candidate or another, it's a different lever every individual voter is pulling. Mm. And it does not travel to the heart of where people live and how they move through life. That's what friendship is for. So don't write her off. Stop going on Facebook. Stop bearing her a grudge and ask her how she's doing. Yeah. So our exploration into friendship continues next week. Mm -hmm. We're going to think about what happens when men and women are friends. Mm -hmm. How does that that gender divide, if there is one, how does that play into friendships and complicate them? So please tune in next week. This has been another episode of Dear Sugar Radio. We're produced by WBUR in Boston. Mm-hmm. We're produced and edited by Amory Sievertson. We're recording a talkback sound and visual in Portland, Oregon. Josh Millman is our friend and engineer. Our theme music is by the Portland band Wonderly. The vocals are by Liz Feist. Please subscribe to Dear Sugar on iTunes or your favorite podcast app and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Dear Sugar Radio. And of course, please write to us with anything that is on your mind and heart at DearSugarRadio at gmail.com.